We gather here on the second Sunday of Easter, and the big miracle, the, the big resurrection, is a week behind us. But the post-resurrection appearances in the presence of Jesus among the disciples actually starts to make the big picture even more real this week than it was last. You might remember that last week Luke's version of the gospel story ends with Peter saying to himself, what just happened? What is this all about? But this morning Jesus shows up. His resurrected body is there for the disciples to see, to experience. And we begin to get a, to get a view, we begin to see more clearly what this really was all about. We get to see more fully what God is up to. And hopefully, we'll leave here knowing that this thing that Jesus was up to can in some ways be summed up in one big word. Forgiveness. But before we get to that, repeatedly, let's turn to our Gospel reading. We'll turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 21, and hear the familiar resurrection appearances of Jesus showing up to the disciples. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, for if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in the hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, later the disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord, for which we say, thanks be to God. Have you ever had the experience of sort of coming to yourself and wondering, what are we doing here again? What is this all about? Let me give you a few examples, maybe to jog your memory. 
A few times in my life, I've happened upon a place like Walmart on Black Friday, (laughs) only to wonder, what am I doing here again? What was this all about? Or maybe you thought it was a good idea to go to Crabtree Valley Mall on a Saturday in December. Similar theory, theme, same question. Many years ago when I was a youth minister in Zebulun, there was a concert that uh, I wanted to go to, and so I got a few youth to go with me to it. It happened to be a large Christian festival that was happening in Mebane, in an open field on an empty farm about 10 miles north of Haw River. Like a couple other thousand that were there, we were there to see a few bands, and one of which was my friends from college, the David Crowder Band. But it was summer. It had been a beautiful, warm June afternoon, which beget pop-up thunderstorms on a June evening. And as we were huddled with many people underneath a deluge of a thunderstorm with thunder and lightning all around us in a merchandise tent, I found myself asking, what are we doing here again? I'm sure for those of you who are basketball fans, you can identify with Oklahoma Sooners who last night were asking themselves, what are we doing here again? I think we're supposed to be playing ball. And for you Carolina fans, clearly your team did know what they were doing last night, and congrats to you. I hope you remember a time when you had to ask yourself this. You can can picture what it was all about, because really, stepping back and being able to see the big picture, to understand what it is that's happening, and knowing what's going on around you and happening all around you and why you're in the midst of what it is you're in the midst of really is of the utmost importance. And when we turn the page from the cross of Holy Week and the empty tomb of Easter, it's easy to hop back on the treadmill of life and of church activities and of the regular things of faith and and almost forget, what is this whole thing about again? We see magical stories, we experience and remember miraculous healings. We celebrate the founding of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we sometimes truly overlook or forget that Jesus is an invitation to new life through the power of his resurrection and the gracious offering of the forgiveness of sins. This is what it's all for. This is what it's all about. Forgiveness. New life. Hope and a better way of living with ourselves, with God, and with one another. That's what's happened. It's all for this. May we remember and embrace that. The thing is, I'm not sure that people have changed all that much in the last 2,000 years. We're all very easily distracted, as I suppose they probably were. We enjoy entertainment. We're drawn to things that happen that may surprise us or impress us beyond what we thought was immediately possible. And I suspect that many followed Jesus around, listening to him teach, watching him speak, enjoying the healings. Because in the absence of devices and books, 
Jesus was the best show in town. He was the best thing. The, the, the traveling caravan of Jesus and his disciples around the regions around Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, for some, was an escape from the mundane monotony of life. Then they saw that when Jesus did see someone who needed healing, he often did heal them. Jesus knew that people needed new a new message, a new teaching, a new way of understanding the Scriptures. So he went in and out of the local synagogues. And since his words were new and were interesting and were fresh, he happened to draw those who were starved for a show, but also those who were craving something deep and significant. For some, Jesus was just a good show. But for others, the ones who win the day, Jesus was something else. He was the good news that their hearts and their souls deeply needed. Which is what we really want to talk about today. Because for so long, those who knew Jesus was up to something big, knew it was going to be big, but they weren't sure what it was. And then, as the resurrection appearances happen and continue, this ongoing revelation of who Jesus is becomes more fully into view. His life on earth begins to have even more meaning than it did when he was moving around teaching and preaching and healing. John chronicles a couple of the first resurrection appearances to the disciples. He notes that they happen behind closed doors, away from everyone and everything else. The magic of the event is that he does just appear. There's no indication that he you know, opened the door and he clearly was not a ghost. Jesus defies the laws of creation as we know it, as we've always known it. And in many ways, when we focus, though, on that part, we miss what it was all for. Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He says, Receive the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus, with the power to reach behind locked doors, to do things that we can't do, as we talked about with the boys down here, has a power that can't be minimized. He reached beyond these doors into us, within us, for the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus comes back to the disciples and He breathes on the Holy Spirit, He gives them the power to forgive sins. And His appearances were not for show. They weren't a trick to reveal God's great power. Rather, Jesus all does all that He does. He goes through all that He goes through to lay upon His disciples the power to forgive and to be forgiven. It's all for that. In the second part of the story, we'll call it, Jesus appears and Thomas is with the disciples. Thomas remained a skeptic for a week because he really wanted to see, he really wanted to feel, he wanted to know for sure that Jesus was alive and powerful and real. And when Jesus does show up again, behind those locked doors, Thomas touches his hands and he feels his side. And then, as another translation says, 
No more disbelief, Thomas. Believe. Jesus commands to Thomas, believe. And so too, I believe today, Jesus commands to us, believe. You believed once. You believed in that forgiveness. You felt it. It compelled you at one point or another in your life to walk down the aisle. Believe. This is what it was that got you here. We did believe because we felt God in us. And so though it may have been a while since you felt that sense of God with you, I pray that we may recapture and hold on to that real, powerful, significant memory of His appearance and claim belief. No more disbelief. Because the thing is, when we come to belief, when we embrace the command to believe, life is different. But when we fail to, when we forget, when we, when we, when we move on and just get on the treadmill of life again, well, we forget to forgive ourselves. We think it's okay to not forgive one another. And in turn, we, we, we miss the full gracious forgiveness that God seeks to give everyone. And if we would forgive, we would live differently because of the power of God. That power would compel us forward in a different way. It would, it would, it would beg us to embody the love and grace and peace and full forgiveness that only God can give. Because Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection, it was all for forgiveness and love. It's all because God wants us to reach into places where others can't or won't. Reach into places if left to our own devices we'd rather not. It's all for the new life that comes through forgiveness. Jim Cross read earlier from the story of Acts from chapter 5, whether it is right to follow God or you, you know, we're going to do what God says. And then Peter says, the The God of our ancestors raised Jesus up. The one who you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior so that he might give repentance to Israel and for forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. God raised him up for what? Not for magic, not for popularity, not for power. Or for repentance, forgiveness of sins, so we could live differently, so that we wouldn't be seduced by the magic and power and deception of an entertainment-laden show, but, that, but so that our souls can be forgiven and freed through God's loving power, a power that reaches beyond locked doors into the places we didn't think it would go, but thus into the places we very much need it. Every day, all around us, there's very important conversations going on about our world, the state of our world, politics, the climate. You can keep it within the boundaries of our state, and there's very important conversations happening in our community and in our state about what things we need to do. And every day, in my field, in my work, I'm privy to conversations about the state of the church. 
How do we increase giving and attendance when actually 20% of America, less than 20% of America, actually attend services on Sunday? How do we maintain traditional attendance numbers when our community is actually getting a little bit smaller? How do we, if we even should, develop new and innovative programs to engage our congregation in music and in Sunday school and in missions? These are important questions. Very important questions. But when we regularly, constantly drill down into the hows and the whats, when we constantly detail whose hobbies are keeping them where and whose access to to vacation homes lead them this, that, and the other, we forget the why. Why are we here? Why did 87 years ago a church build a sanctuary on a corner and Downtown, why did 46 years ago a church dedicate a building for children's ministry? Why 17 years ago did we put a building in between the two so that the offices could have a new place to reside and Sunday school classes could meet? Why? Why did we do all this? Because of the radical, powerful message of Jesus that is the forgiveness of sins, a message that transcends the boundaries of life, A a message that when Jesus comes through a locked door, the most important thing he has to say is not how I did it, but that your sins are forgiven. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's why the church exists. That's what it's all about. When a, a, a Catholic monk who wrote a devotional that I read during Lent, says, God chooses to love us precisely when we are least deserving of it, when we are least lovable, when we come dragging home in our lowest, most unattractive, most undeserving state. God runs to meet us. The beauty of the gospel is that God loves us without the least regard for what we actually deserve. We are forgiven. When we consider the life and ministry of Jesus, when we think about church, it's easy to forget that this is not just a good story. It's not a miracle worker's show. And it's not about one-upping the devil or showing off because of the power of God. It's about the forgiveness of sins and the new life that comes when we feel the freedom of that forgiveness from God, when we feel the freedom of giving that forgiveness to one another, And we feel that we've been able to forgive ourselves as well. Forgiveness is what it's all for. Maybe today we might embrace that a little bit more for having been here and wondered to ourselves, what are we doing here again? Forgiveness. It's all for that. Shall we pray? Gracious God and loving Father, We thank you for this place, for this church. And we thank you that in this space we can hear your message of love and of grace and of forgiveness. A forgiveness that we so much, so desperately need for ourselves. A forgiveness that has the power to change our relationships and the world around us. And a forgiveness that helps us to realize fully the most important power that it is that you have, that you give us. The power to forgive sins, the power to be forgiven. Lord, may we 
feel your forgiving love today anew. May we, may we recommit ourselves to your forgiveness and love if we felt it before. And Lord, if we've never felt it before and we need to feel it today, help us to see the path forward to seek it. And may we all feel and know the assurance of your ability to reach where no one else can as we feel the comfort and freedom that comes from your forgiveness. Lord, it's all for that. And with great hope of receiving that and experiencing that, we pray today. Amen.